How are we doing, everybody? Welcome to Poetry Dose. Uh, I'm Atticus Allen. Today, we have a poet for you named Ravi Shankar. And Ravi Shankar is a very... Uh, he's, a, he's a poet with a lot of accolades, and I, I never really know whether to tell you about these people's uh, accolades and all the great things they've done and all their stuff before or after they talk. I think just get straight to the the poet and um, his poems right away, and I'll tell you all about it. Just take my word for it um, that there's plenty uh, of work and, and interesting um, accolades that most of these folks have. Um, so, uh, if you have any point of view on that, send me a message at poetrydose at gmail.com and say, hey, why don't you just keep it to yourself in the beginning? Let the poem, poet do its his, his his or her reading, and then uh, tell us about them at the end. Or be like, you know what? I don't want to wait till the end to know about these people. I want to get stoked. I want to get wound up before I listen to them talk. I want to be like, wow, this guy, this girl is really um, had a lot of lots to a lot of life experience here. I can't wait to hear this. So let me know that. Anyway, without any further ado, we have Ravi Shankar with a sonnet that he wrote himself and a poem by A.K. Ramanujan about snakes. Hi. This is Ravi Shankar, and I'd like to share a brief sonnet sequence with you today. The sonnet, of course, uh, that 13th century Italian form of poetry popularized by Petrarch, coming from the Italian word sonetta, little song, and 14 lines, so a very compact kind of poem, and in a kind of particular rhyme and rhythmic scheme generally. So I've decided we've been writing sonnets for many centuries, and I wanted to partake in this lineage, and I thought to put a little twist on it instead of using rhyme, um, which most sonnets do, I would use homonyms, and really uh, every word uh, that's a homonym rhymes with itself in a sense. And so I call these three sonnets uh, homonymic sonnets, and you'll hear the end words um, repeated with uh, a word that sounds the same but means something different. And this sequence is for my family. Sonnets generally are love poems, and this is a, uh, a kind of love poem, uh, the real kind of love poem that encompasses difficulty and complexity, and also my parents' immigration to America from India and uh, my own birth. And so it's a generational sequence in some ways. So it's called Immediate Family. One, though it might not have been readily apparent, I saw my father, ever conscious of dollars and cents, filch toilet paper from a maid's cart. Not a parent-like thing to do, granted. Nothing that makes sense given his comportment. I wonder if he could choose differently 
or if he was just acting in a waking daze, a kleptomaniac stupor. Watching the way he chews his food sometimes, I puzzle what pleasure his days on earth might consist of, and how I might be his son when his default mode of looking is to glare. Pride open, what dreams might orbit his heart as the sun harnesses planets to spin? All I see is his dark pride. This stranger, my father, a tamillion of Brahmin caste, remains elusive no, many, no matter how many lines I cast. Two. Finding out she was betrothed, my mother bawled in the high branch of a banyan tree, uncertain whether to jump or to hide, knowing she was to marry the bald man come to marry her sister. But in the shifting weather of Vedic astrological charts, much better suited to hold her hand. She was nineteen, he thirty, and they had yet to meet. That long first afternoon, she preferred to say, hold up, until her father called to say, the man ate no meat, was kind, and came from a good family. God, who knows best, would want nothing more for her. So, down the limb she shimmied, wiping away tears and her ring nose on the sleeve of her salwar kameez. She was yet to limb the shape of her life to be in America, frying bread, not from lentil batter. For that, she was not yet bread. 3. In Hindu myth, Yama, god of death, is no mere idol, but incarnation of justice, Dharma, who will plumb the deeds of a mortal life. Astride a buffalo, never idle, holding mace and noose, dark as a rotting green plum, he decides each next life in accordance with what's fair. As a teenager, I would sit in temple under an ornate frieze of gods, trying my hardest not to estimate the airfare it took to bring these sculptures to the winter frieze of Virginia from southern India. My stomach a knot, while old Sanskrit slokas, rich with meanings I missed, droned on. What's just? What shame? Why me, not you, stuck with smelly barefoot Indians? Then, from mist, I saw a shape, myself looking back at me, without lesson or reprieve, in lucent outlines that have yet to lessen. Thank you.
And so I think what I like so much about the form of a sonnet is that it's contained and that it has intrinsic in its structure um, an opportunity for movement. Uh, the Italian sonnet, of course, has a volta, a turn after eight lines, and the Shakespearean sonnet proceeds by way of these arguments of each quatrain, and it's kind of clicked home by that final concluding couplet. And uh, in this instance, it seemed to me... Um, thinking about where my mother came from, where my father came from, the arranged marriage they had, and uh, without which, of course, I would never have been born, and born in a country other than the one that they were born in. All of that seemed to me so unruly and chaotic that finding the scaffolding of these sonnets and using homonyms, which in a sense all of us as members of a family are the same as and yet completely distinctive from the people uh, we're surrounded by, the people who gave us birth, um, it just seemed like the appropriate form to capture all of that. And that's why I chose it. Today, I wanted to share with you a poem that I loved when I was a child. And I grew up in a household where there wasn't a lot of art or literature or poetry. My father was a mechanical engineer, and what few books he had were all full of formulas and numbers and equations. And as a young boy, it was not the kind of imaginative world I wanted to escape into. But one day when I was down in his study, um, looking through his books, he probably was upstairs and had no clue what I was doing, I found this little slim book of poetry. And uh, it was by someone called A.K. Ramanujan. Now, A.K. Ramanujan, I would come to find out, was born in Mysore, India, and he was a poet and a folklorist and uh, lived in Chicago for quite a while. But I didn't know any of that at the time. I just knew that there was something so captivating about his poetry. And um, I'll share one of his poems with you that I particularly loved when I was a kid. Um, it's called Snakes. No, it does not happen when I walk through the woods, but walking in museum of, museums of quartz or the aisles of bookstacks, looking at their geometry without curves and the layers of transparency that make them opaque, dwelling on the yellow or vein in the yellow amber or touching a book that has gold on its spine, I think of snakes. The twirl of their hisses rise like the tiny dust cones on slow noon roads winding through the farmer's feet. Black lorgnettes are etched on their hoods, ridiculous, alien, like some terrible aunt, a crest among tiles and scales that molt with the darkening half of every moon. A basket full of ritual cobras comes into the tame little house, their brown wheat glisten ringed with ripples. They lick the room with their bodies, curves uncurling, writing a sibilant alphabet of panic on them my floor. Mother gives them Milk in saucers. She watches them suck and bear the black line design etched on the brass of the saucer. The snake man wreathes their writhing round his neck for father's smiling money. But 
I? I scream! Sister ties her braids with a knot of tassel, but the weave of her knee-long braid has scales, their gleaming held by a score of clean new pins. I look till I see her hair again. My night full of ghosts from a sadness in a play, my left foot listens to my right footfall, a clockwork clicking in the silence within my walking. The click-shod heel suddenly strikes and slushes, on a snake. I see him turn the green-white of his belly, measured by bluish nodes, a water-bleached lotus stalk plucked by a landsman's hand. Yet panic rushes my body to my feet. My spasms ring and drain his fear in mine. I leave him sealed, a flathead whiteness on a stain. Now, frogs can hop upon this sausage rope. Flies in the sun will mob the look in his eyes. And I can walk through the woods. <clears throat> so, it, for a young boy, it was really kind of scary and full of mysterious details. And I actually, um, when I was very young, I went to third grade in South India. And so I remembered seeing um, these snake charmers who actually would have cobras in their baskets and they would entice you to come. I think that they had the poison taken out. I hope so. And as a young boy, actually, I put one of these snakes around my neck. I think there's a photograph of me floating around somewhere with that. And the other thing I really loved about this poem was the sounds. It just sounded like a slithering snake. And there were these sneaky little rhymes like that make them opaque. And then some lines later, I think of snakes. And um, I love the idea of uh, them glistening with ripples and that they lick the room with their bodies. Uh, I guess there was something even back then that I thought was really sensual and interesting about the way that the snake's movement was being captured. And then there were also words that I had never heard of. And so this was kind of exciting to me. I mean, I think when you encounter a word that you don't know, you need to look it up in a dictionary and then you can make it your own and it becomes part of your vocabulary. And so one of the words, which I, I actually don't know if I ever would really use, but the word lorgnette was in there, L-O-R-G-N-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E. I had no idea what that meant. And I looked it up and it turns out to be a pair of opera glasses that you would hold in front of your eyes with a long handle on the side. And we don't use those anymore. It's a kind of historical reference, but the shape of those, when you think of snakes, is really interesting. And then there was another word, sibilant, S-I-B-I-L-A-N-T, sibilant. And I look that up and it turns out that means to make a hissing sound. And of course, that word hiss is a great example of what we call onomatopoeia, a word that sounds like what it's describing. And that's a, a great example. And I guess the other thing that I really liked about this poem was that it's unexpected. I didn't expect the boy in the end, to kill the snake. And the last couple of lines, now frogs can hop upon the sausage rope, flies in the sun will mob the look in his eyes, and I can walk through the woods. Um, there was almost this moment of brutal triumph that takes place in uh, civilizing the wilderness of the snake. And so 
all of that was really interesting to me, especially when it, this little book of poetry was surrounded by mathematics books. Um, so uh, that's A.K. Ramanujan. He's a great translator. He spoke English and Kannada, which is one of the many languages spoken in India. And uh, that is his poem, Snake. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, I think we learned a lot today from Ravi. What a great set of poems. And it doesn't surprise me, considering Ravi Shankar is the author and editor or translator over a dozen books. Yeah. Including most recently The Golden Shovel, New Poems, and And All, the autobiography of a Goddess, Zubon Books, University of Chicago Press, 2016. Ravi has won a Pushcart Prize, a Gina Lucy Award from Prairie Schooner, appeared on NPR, PBS, the BBC, and in such publications as the New York Times. Hello. Paris Review and Caravan and been awarded many fellowships including from the Rhode Island Commission on the Arts the McDowell Colony and the Corporation of Yadu he founded Drunken Boat one of the world's oldest electronic journals of the arts and he teaches and performs around the world most recently for the New York Writers Workshop and as the writer in residence at Sun Yat-sen University in Guangzhou, China. His memoir in progress is entitled Correctional, and he currently holds a research fellowship from the University of Sydney. Very happy to have had Robbie on the podcast. Thanks again to everybody for tuning in. Next week, we got Sean Singer. So, come check it out. He's got a lot to offer. He's got a lot to, for us to learn, just like today. Man. That was, that was a pretty uh, informative uh, set of audio there that uh, Robbie sent us. Thank you. You know, if you want to be informative to any of your friends or family that um, are home perhaps and uh, would like something to listen to maybe they're not tech savvy or maybe they are and they just don't know about us but maybe you're like this person loves poetry send them over here do them a favor and say hey throw this on go listen to Poetry Dose we'll see you next week <laughs>